hello? Uh, uh, hello? W where am I? Do not struggle. You'll find the restraints that hold you are tied securely. Who's who's there? What what do you want? Are you the host of the Horror Scope Cast? The Horoscope podcast that helps you cope as part of a- Enough! You do not recognize us. Well, well it's, it's pitch black, so I can't. You do not recognize our voice. Are you? Yes. We are the final sign you dare not acknowledge. We are the approximately twelfth of darkness that resides in men's souls. We are they who go unseen control all. We are... Sorry, uh, my restraints have come free? Oh, Father. How is that? Uh, better. Well, um, worse. It, it's good and tight. Good. Perhaps you could tell us what you remember of how you came to be here. You'd like that, would you? Well, I won't just tell you anything, by which I mean I'll try to keep to the point. Go ahead. The last thing I remember, I was on my way to Sagittarian Hall. It's a grand old gothic mansion perched on the edge of a cliff, beset by foul winds, on account of a cliff being surrounded by cabbage farms on most sides. I'd been invited by the Viscount of Sagittaria to perform a personal horoscope reading for him. The journey was arduous, and I fear I wouldn't even have made it that far if my travelling companion had not been hardy. I should say, Hardy was a weak fellow who ran from the slightest danger, but he knew a surprising number of bawdy songs, with which he distracted us from the journey. When I arrived in the village below Sagittarian Hall, to the sound of the fifth reprise of The Butcher Delivers His Meat to All the Girls in Town, I made my way to the only building with its lights on. It was an old-fashioned pub, and seeing it was still open and serving drinks, I leapt at the chance to get a drink, for the pub was called The Chance. You said you would keep to the point. And, and I am, I am. This is all vitally important to understand my story. Once inside the chance, I was briefly quizzed about my leaping outside. I told the innkeeper I was new in town, and he seemed satisfied. Presumably because he enjoyed his job, or because he hadn't spent several days listening to a rapidly diminishing number of entendres sung to more or less the same tune while trapped in a small carriage. I had my drink in my hand, and was about to head to a seat, when the innkeeper saw me struggling and offered me a glass. I took him up on his offer, which made things decidedly easier, and he asked me in turn what my business was in town. You're going to Sagittarian Hall? He replied when I gave my reply, after which I replied to him, and he to me, and so on in the usual manner. Get to the point. I, I am, I am. The point was, he told me that strange, unholy things happened at the hall, but no man he went there left the same again, and most did not leave at all. So, he told you the secret of the hall? No, not at all, not at all. In fact, he knew, or at least said, very little about the hall, beyond that vague warning. Naturally, I told him I was prepared to take the chance, to which he replied that it wasn't for sale, but thanked me for my interest. But, as I made to leave, he did tell me one other thing. What? Tell us what he told you. I had mentioned that I was interested in the undisputed science of horoscopology, and he told me that he was a Sagittarius. Is that strange? Not by itself, but he mentioned that so too was everyone else in the inn. In fact, everyone in town was a Sagittarius. In factor, everyone in town had been born on the same day. Years apart sometimes, 
but always the same day. Fascinating, but irrelevant. Tell us about the hall. Well, having been restored by our drinks, we mounted the cliff, an activity I was unsurprised to learn that Hardy had a song about. Despite offers of extra money, the carriage driver would not take us all the way to the door. When he finally would go no further, we got out, and the final leg of our journey was afoot. Which, on reflection, was a very reasonable distance for him to drop us from the door. You were permitted access to the hall? Having rung the doorbell, we were met at the large creaking door by a small creaking butler. I took out my invitation from the Viscount and held it aloft. Then, at the butler's request, I held it lower so that he could see and read it. I grow weary of your tomfoolery. Do you know, he said something very similar when he took us to meet the Viscount. You met with the Viscount? Yes, but not at first. We were shown by way of a large, ornate hallway to a large, ornate games room that connected by a large and ornate door to a dining room which I can only describe as... Large and ornate? Have you been there? You are trying our patience. Ah, well, it's coincidental you should mention patience, because there we were introduced to the Viscount's other guests, and first among them was the cancer researcher, Dr. Ares. There was also Gemini, the socialite, and two military men, Leo Taurus, the renowned flying ace, and Captain Rick Orn. Despite their diverse professions, when we arrived, they were midway through a discussion of literature. I only caught the end of it, but it had something to do with a tendency of modern writers to do only the absolute minimum when it came to sticking to a theme. And then you met with the Viscount? Not at first. It seems that the Viscount had laid on a dinner for his guests. As that had crushed and ruined the centerpiece, the butler quickly whipped up another and we all tucked in. It was locally sourced and seasonal, and I can honestly say it's one of the best cabbages I've ever eaten. Hardy commented that his was plump and moist, a fact which caused him to launch into verse. Enough! During dinner, I asked if the Viscount would be joining us, and a response from the other diners, some of whom evidently knew more than I, was cutting. So, I waited until they put their cutlery down, and I asked again, this time, they were happy to indulge me and told me that the Viscount never ate with his guests on account of his very particular diet, but that we would meet him after dinner. Just then, the butler reappeared to serve us coffee that was as dark as the stormy night outside and as wet as coffee normally is. As we sipped, I asked the gathered party what their business was with the Viscount. I knew my own. I had been called upon to chart his horoscope. But the motley crew assembled before me didn't seem like they had been summoned with the same agenda in mind. I found their answers a little evasive, but I surmised that Leo and the captain knew the Viscount from their military days, as they alluded to bringing him back. I can only presume from a war in which he was injured. They'd enlisted Gemma and the Doctor to fund and perform his care thereafter, respectively, which made all of them sound like frightfully good eggs. And then... You met with the Viscount? We should have done, yes. But I had not long finished my coffee when a strange sensation overtook me. That would have been fine, but I caught it back up again, which was a mistake. And when I did, I felt drowsy and lightheaded. I remember saying that my head didn't feel right, and Hardy commented that that reminded him of a song he knew before I passed out. <sighs> what happened next? When I awoke again, I was somewhere quite different. 
I can't have been asleep long, for in the distance I could still hear the crashing of the thunder and the driving of the rain. But I wasn't in the hall. I looked around me. The walls were dark and cave-like. The ceiling loomed with stalactites like a great cave. The floor was uneven and rocky like a... I, I was in a cave. I was in a cave. Recovering control of my senses, I first asked, Have I been out for long? And Hardy somewhere nearby mentioned that reminded him of a song he knew. My eyes slowly adjusted to the darkness, and I saw a sliver of moonlight breaking in through a chink in the wall of the cave. Through it, I could see the village and the endless cabbage farms below me. I was inside the cliff! The cliff! I shouted. We're deep inside! To which Hardy was beginning to respond, but was cut short. From out of the darkness came our dinner companions, accompanied by several of the villagers. I recognised them by their faces, voices and outfits, and the villagers by the distinctive and odd appearance that I noticed but hadn't commented on back in the inn. What did they look like? Well, it was curious. For the most part, they looked like normal men and women, except for rough, almost scaly skin, fins where ears should have been, and webbed fingers. Of course, I said to myself. That's why the innkeeper served my drink that way. With webbed fingers, you'd hardly spill a drop. Frightfully sorry, dear chap. Had to slip you something so you didn't see the way down here, said the captain. But why have you brought me down here, I asked, confused. Is this where I'm to meet the Viscount? At that, the dinner guests burst into laughter, and the captain replied. Meet him? Why, oh, yes, I think you'd better had. My attention was drawn past them to a great underground lake that must have covered most of the floor of the cave. Its inky darkness suggested it went down as deep as the cliff rose up. Perhaps even more so, perhaps less, but somewhere in that general range. Surrounding the shore of the lake, the villagers had taken positions, holding candles and muttering something in that strange, blubbering voice of theirs that the innkeeper had spoken in earlier. I tried to listen in, but the voice of the captain drowned them out. I wonder, sir, do you know the legend of the sunken city of Aquarius? I told him I didn't. Well, of course you don't. It's an ancient occult secret known only to us. But let me enlighten you. I thanked him and told him that the dark was beginning to hurt my eyes. I mean, tell you it. Ah. It was a beautiful city, built of glistening stone and metal atop an island of perfect peace. You see... Before man was barely out of the trees, the Aquarians had great science, art, and powerful magic. So powerful, in fact, they sought to control one of the universe's great primal forces, a great old one. They prepared a ritual that would trap it in an earthly body, a giant fish, and then its power would be theirs to wield. But some things were too great, even for them and the ritual brought the downfall of Aquarius. But that's not to say they were unsuccessful. As their city sank, the ritual was completed and something powerful was trapped in. With a theatrical sense of timing that was to be commended, at this moment the surface of the water broke and a great creature struck its head up from the inky depths. The captain roared to the heavens, the great Pisces. I wouldn't call what I saw a fish. It was monstrous and magnificent all at once, beyond the description of mere words, which I grant is both frustrating and convenient when describing it now. 
Once a year, on the day of Pisces, we induce the fish to conceive with a human. Which explained why the rare visitors to the hall were never the same when they left. And once a year, nine months hence, on this very night, the new Aquarians are born. But why bring me here? I asked. They must be charted. We must know their signs to know they are worthy to carry on the race of the Aquarians, who will one day take their rightful place again. Does the Viscount know of this? I spluttered. I was incensed. I presumed the incense was part of a ceremony. You fool! Great Pisces is the Viscount! I was shocked. I was amazed. I was... Wait. You saw it? You saw the Great Old One? Not just it. From beneath it, I saw what looked like a dozen, but was in fact eleven, man-sized fish eggs float up from the inky darkness. They were hauled ashore by the villagers, and from the jelly-like pouches, more of the fish-headed villagers broke their way. I was taken to them, and given the means to produce a birth star chart for each. I did as my captors bid, for they had engaged in a small auction to pass the time. And then... As I completed the last, the moment came that I had been fearing since the first was upon me. The earlier comment about the Viscount's very particular diet left me in no uncertainty that I was to be fed to it. I waited with bated breath, perhaps the worst thing to have when being fed to a fish, and closed eyes for my fate. But, after a while, reopened them and found that Hardy was to be dispatched first. They led him to the shore of the Great Lake, and in one lunge, a gigantic fish picked him up. He yelled, he's swallowing me in one go, or possibly sang, it's very hard to tell with Hardy. In that moment, I spied the break in the rock again, and noticed it could just about fit a man through. I had been untied for the making of the charts, and just needed an opportunity to make a run for it. In that break in the rock, I saw the chance, which meant I knew which way the village was, so I made a run for it. And do you know how you came to be here? The last thing I remember was running down the steep cliffside and tripping. I, I must have hit my head and woken up here. Very good. You have cooperated with us so far. Answer one last question, and we shall at least make your death quick and painless. What? 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 Well, what is it? What is it? What's happening? Oh. Sarge, there's someone tied up over here. Uh, uh, hello? Hi, don't worry. I'm Agent Scorpio. I'm with Libra. You're safe now. Uh, 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 thank you. I was just looking to this and everything will be okay. Oh. Uh, um, uh, uh, okay. Uh, oh, wait, what? I don't remember posting this month's episode.